Hello, welcome to Time for the Soul. My name is Sharon Kugler and I'm the Yale University chaplain. And today our guest is another special friend. Alicia Schmidt Camacho is professor of ethnicity, race, and migration and head of Ezra Style College at Yale and a heart friend for so many years. And I was just tickled when you said that you would be happy to come and talk with us for a little bit. So thank you and welcome. Thank you, Sharon. And any conversation with you is a delight and a lesson for me. Oh, that's nice. Well, I'm excited about this. When I was making my list of wishes of who I wanted to bring to talk about calling and call, you were right there on the list. And after your name, I wrote the heart of a teacher, Mm. an activist, and someone who's committed to walking through it all. And that was what I wanted to start with, with you, is what does that feel like to have a call that also draws you into walking through it all? Sharon, that's such a beautiful way of putting it, and um, I'm sure you know the phrase, al andar se hace el camino, right, which is one that I was raised with that says you you really you make the road by walking, and um, that is something that I always want to share with our students is that... Um, Anything in a place like this, it looks like you've had to be successful at a place like Yale or any high-powered place, you look like you've had a plan all along. But I think for me, um, being able to trust that um, just by continuing to keep walking, to keep observing, to be in communication with others around me, that we'll get where we need to go. There's no special design. The call to teach, though, makes me really think about, especially the teachers that keep going, Mm. you know, and I I know you well enough to know you are so fed by your students and Mm. by the interaction that is just this beautiful symbiotic kind of thing that happens as the teaching, as the classroom world starts to form, and each semester it's different um, with, with who's there. But in that, it feels like there's some sacred work going on. Have you ever thought of it that way? I absolutely have. Um, I think the classroom is uh, a very precious and kind of unique space. Um, And I think of Rigoberta Menchu, who um, explains in her testimonio about how she became politically aware and became found the means to be part of um, the indigenous uh, resistance to genocide in Guatemala. Um, She mentioned catechism class, right? Couldn't get more um, traditional than that. Um, And, you know, as an indigenous woman who's worked so hard to protect and defend their own sacred knowledge. I think there's something very special about saying this inherited tradition, imposed tradition of Catholicism um, and the catechism, which is not designed for women, for us. Mm -hmm. It's about, sometimes it's about obedience, that this was a liberatory space. And I think of that and the way she describes that um, the meetings in the jungle, you know, Mm -hmm. the meetings in the woods in a time of war, were spaces of liberation um, and a space to learn and grow and that when her consciousness 
came to being. And so um, I hope very much for the classroom to be a space where the rest of the world doesn't stay outside, but is sort of under control and, and that we can put some boundaries on it and really experience um, each other and be free to explore our ideas and to learn from each other, be together, work together through whatever topics it is. Um, and, and absolutely, for me, it begins with um, that sense of coming together um, and, and being in a relationship with each other over the course of a semester or over the mm -hmm. course of two hours. It's a very beautiful thing. You're also, because you serve as the head of Ezra Stiles College, you are teacher, mother to many. <laughs> you are confidant and all those things, coach, cheerleader. I mean, there's just so many things that, that go into the job of a head of a college. There's a call to that, I think. Um, it's strange at Yale because... There's a, a kind of prestige attached to the title, and yet the heads I've known over the years, um, my memories of the ones that stick for me are the ones where it's not so much the fancy prestigeness, the prestigiousness of the title as much as the human interaction that happens. What can you say about the call of, of serving as a head of a college where you have different ages? These are students that may not be taking a class from you, but they are committed to some kind of being in some kind of relationship with you. You know, it's a, it's a small community of 500 or so people, and it is the boundary between the university and New Haven. It's the place where we meet a larger community mm -hmm. of people um, in the dining hall staff, mm -hmm. the maintenance staff. And the goal is to create a home space and a space of fellowship, which is like friendship but has another set of responsibilities attached to it than mm -hmm. friendship and is more than one's individual choice. We're all assigned to the college. Mm -hmm. And the beautiful thing for me about where the college has fit during my time at Yale was that um, undergraduate admissions transformed the body of the university by inviting and including um, a much wider range of students than we've ever had historically at a place like Yale. And it's an invitation to both partake of all of the extraordinary resources here, but to also be committed to learning and to each other's flourishing. And I think for me, the, the sense that proper learning is collective and does require sharing your life with someone as well as your intellect. Um, and so I, this is all going to, you know, elevated a lot of it is done over food and music mm -hmm. and silliness mm -hmm. and play, you know. And I think one thing that is really striking for me about the time that I've been an educator is that dis despite all the advances in all of the extraordinary efforts um, to build a more inclusive 
set of institutions to transform structures of caste um, and racial apartheid in this country. Um, you know, students are often feel very unfree. You know, they feel very burdened. Yes. Um, both by the legacies of those struggles and by the contradictions of the world we live in and um, are very concerned about doing a proper form of education and accomplishing, not in the sense of achievement, personal achievement only. I think that's actually a lot less of it than to do meaningful things and to be sure that they're doing it right. And I think that's part of how hard it is to get to Yale, puts a stamp on anyone. Um, so one of the beautiful things about the community part of the college education is that it's a place where we also have to shed that and create a space for play and mm -hmm. for um, experiencing each other in unscripted ways and to really open ourselves up to each other in order to build proper relationships. And that includes colleagues in um, cleaning and gardening mm -hmm. and f the food that we eat and the people who, who feed us. And that, I think, is a really wonderful space. And if it works right, it can be a really liberatory space, too. And I keep thinking about education um, and fellowship together a lot in these two roles, both teaching and in the residential college, because I think it is really about allowing yourself to feel free, um, open, and to do that collectively, to free each other from the pressures um, and the, the burdens of, I think, living in a very unequal and very violent time, you know, and, and it's key to your own education. It's key to being able to serve others, you know, so what you were talking about leadership, and I think one way we think about leadership is through people's laurels and through um, their wisdom and accumulated wisdom. But I think um, one of the things that I have really benefited from my whole life, but in moments of crisis, you see what real leadership can do that's transformative is that it builds relationships and that it helps people articulate a shared goal, but a shared set of commitments to one another, right? And it's that walking with each other through whatever the challenges are ahead. Um, and um, so, you know, I started this job during the onset of the pandemic, and I have found it to be a really big blessing for me that I had the gift of holding this role of articulating community and togetherness during a difficult time because I got to see all this in action and have to learn how to do it together. But it really taught, again, that leadership is really not these things you've built up over your life, but it's where you've been, who's been with you, what um, words you can use to comfort what questions you get to ask, what it means to hold somebody, um, and what people bring you. Every day, someone brings you something. If you're in a position of leadership, many, many people bring you things. And that is an spectacular 
privilege. Mm-hmm. I think when you describe it that way, the image that comes to my mind is the large embrace. Yeah. And in creating community, which you do so beautifully in your department, but but also in this college setting, and by modeling that we are part of a community and that there is, you know, as you say, there's the people that keep the place so beautiful and tend to it and care for it and people that feed us and care about us and welcome us and greeting each other and seeing each other as humans rather than some achievement or some title um, is a gift to give to young adults. And I, I, I basically, by living with people, I show people how I've learned and how I thrive and what nourishes me and where I feel able to walk away from um, norms that mm-hmm. I don't accept, that mm-hmm. I don't like, mm-hmm. to be able to reinterpret um, the work, reinterpret the roles to suit me, to suit the situation, to serve the ideals that I have. And what I, again, like about um, the college is that it's, People are assigned. I mean, we are a selective university, mm-hmm. so of course there's nothing random about any of it. Mm-hmm. Um, and we we select for people who've accomplished enormous things. But within all the different categories of personhood that govern our lives, you know, this is a space where um, we get to explore and engage each other across a really wide range of life experience, wide range of cultural and personal histories and um, statuses. And, you know, the dining hall to me is that really remarkable space where we come together over the most elemental things and where um, people who are um, taking such pains to... Um, provide food are also sharing their everyday struggle with us you know and there's profound struggle in a city like New Haven and in the ranks of people who have to work two and three jobs but that's where I find um, some extraordinary wisdom (laughs) is shared (laughs) yeah I I have found that too and I I found it to actually be um, a much needed connection Mm-hmm. Because you can get all up in your head a lot and yeah. caught up in even the, um, I don't know, the the powerful impact of the, the mere architecture of this place. Yes. And you forget the humanity that yeah. makes it all work. Yeah. Um, and so I just, I want to, I want to close with something that you said that I was so grateful you said, which was about fun. And and joy and the importance of that. And I do think that one of the things in the call of being an educator, an activist, a dreamer, a person who's going to walk through the storms but also just keep going (laughs) is to help people know the importance of fun and giving themselves permission to have that, to seek joy and make that as important as all the other things because all the other things can't also last. 
unless we have that humanness. Yeah. I mean, I think we are living in a time where fear governs us mm. and that a profound fear of loss, of fear of um, dispossession mm -hmm. and other kinds of fears, fear of difference um, is all around us and shapes the policies and ex the opportunities for everyone. Um, and I think the only answer to fear isn't, you know, developing a sense of immunity or developing a sense of protection a wall, and safety right? in that sense. But the kind of kind of improvised reaction and, and joy that comes out of the experience of real spiritual joy. You know, if you listen to jazz, mm -hmm. right? Jazz is an idiom of extraordinary, profound commingling of hurt and joy. You know, loss and joy is baked into that. And um, learning, you know, that is a jazz improvisation is a process of learning where will this set of notes and gestures, breaths take you. And um, I was just with my dad, and he was. I, we always play jazz together. And I, I think that's what's missing. I think from many of our political educations and from the knowledge about what struggle is, is that the people in my life, and I've had the benefit of working with people in very, very difficult conditions, um, is that they have always led with sense of um, making space for profound joy and that joy isn't the absence of um, sorrow right? right as our friend Ross Gay right. the poet says but but that it is it's it's the finding the capacity to share and to be together in it then you feel a kind of lasting growth and joy that you don't otherwise and that's where I think the liberatory comes in and so you know at that very precipitous crossing from you know into adulthood that comes at college time um, or for people who are just beginning their working lives um, you know now having been around the sun a few more <laughs> times than they have I really love being there to say, you know, here's what happens when you can let go of fear and allow yourself to be open. Well, Alicia, I know it's I know it's been seen and I know it's made a difference in mm -hmm. so many people's lives. And so I just want to thank you for being with me today in Time for the Soul. Thank you, Sharon. It's good for my <laughs> spirit too. Thank you. Time for the Soul is produced by Ryan McAvoy, created by Sharon Kugler, Maytal Satiel, and Sean Mignon. Our music is by J.P. Durvin. This has been a production of the Yale Broadcast Studio.